Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. I asked a favor of you earlier in the program. I want to renew that favor and renew that request. And it is, I'd like you to call me. I'd like you to call and leave a voicemail and share some of your thoughts, specifically on the question of, are you comfortable going back to quote-unquote normal? Specifically when it comes to church and dining, schools, public parks, malls and sporting events and movie theaters. There was a poll conducted by the Deseret News in conjunction with the Hinckley Institute, and the results are surprising. I'll share those with you later on in the program, but would you do me a favor and answer the question for yourself? I want to know exactly what you think, and I want to hear it in your own voice. Leave me a voicemail. The number is 801-575-7668. You don't have to identify yourself. You can if you want. You can ramble on for as long as you want, whatever. I just want to hear from you. I want to know about your comfort level. I want to know if you, when the churches open their doors and the schools are reopened in the fall and the malls have their doors wide open, sporting events resume, and you can go back to the movie theaters with your friends, are you comfortable doing that? 801-575-7668. That's later on in the program. Right now, you and I are going to return to a chapter of history and how it relates to today, specifically the Insurrection Act of 1807. We... You and I together went on a little stroll down uh, history's lane, and we talked about the origins of that act. We talked about the most recent uh, usages of that act. But very basically, what it means is, or rather what the act, the Insurrection Act, allows for, is for the President of the United States to exercise certain powers to mobilize, under federal control, uh, certain assets soldiers, airmen, marines, such like that, within U.S. boundaries. It is not often that this, this power is invoked or that the Insurrection Act is invoked. We heard, if you were reading between the lines, two days ago that President Trump may be considering the Insurrection Act. And while I don't believe he used the word precisely, uh, it was just two days ago in his call with governors that President Trump told these governors to use the National Guard to dominate looters and other violent protesters. And then in a press conference, not long after that, he said he would deploy the military if he felt state leaders were not adequately protecting people and businesses. If a city or a state refuses to take the actions that are necessary to defend the life and property, of their residents, then I will deploy the United States military and quickly solve the problem for them. If you notice there, he was speaking in the future tense, but then just moments later, the president indicated that he, in fact, already had deployed some troops to areas. As we speak, I am dispatching thousands and thousands of heavily armed soldiers, military personnel, and law enforcement officers to stop the rioting, looting, vandalism, assaults, and the wanton destruction of property. Interestingly enough, 
Uh, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi just recently, moments ago, in fact, sent a letter to the White House requesting a full inventory of all the troops and assets which the president uh, indicated in this quote right here that he has deployed across the country. And full disclosure, it's not often that uh, Nancy Pelosi and I find ourselves with the same curiosities, but I uh, would, if I had the opportunity, sign my name to that same letter. I would very much like to know where the president has deployed some troops around our nation. Now, that is one chapter in this story that we're telling here today. The second chapter involves a new character, Defense Secretary Mark Esper. In fact, yesterday he broke with President Trump saying he felt that this was not an issue at the federal level, but rather an issue at the National Guard level under the jurisdiction of state governors. I've always believed and continue to believe that the National Guard is best suited for performing domestic support to civil authorities in these situations in support of local law enforcement. I say this not only as Secretary of Defense, but also as a former soldier and a former member of the National Guard. The option to use active duty forces in a law enforcement role should only be used as a matter of last resort and only in the most urgent and dire of situations. We are not in one of those situations now. I do not support invoking the Insurrection Act. The 82nd Airborne is a unit based out of Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Uh, a little behind the scenes, my brother-in-law used to be a member of the 82nd Airborne, and when I was living in Washington, D.C., Fort Bragg's only a four-hour drive away, and it was my honor to go down there uh, to see where the 82nd Airborne uh, was headquartered and where they trained and where I could see people like my brother-in-law standing proudly ready to defend this nation and her freedoms. Now, I mentioned the 82nd Airborne because... We learned yesterday that about 200 members of the 82nd had been relocated from Fort Bragg, deployed out of Fort Bragg, to Washington, D.C. And then, around the same time Defense Secretary Mark Esper was making these types of comments, we learned that he would be sending them back to Fort Bragg. Then some time passed, and he changed his mind. He went back on that, letting us all know that, in fact, the 82nd, those 200 soldiers, airborne soldiers, would be staying behind, staying in Washington, D.C. to continue their uh, initial mission. Now, where does that go from here? Is that usage of the Insurrection Act? That's unclear, but there are those who are weighing in. Uh, and let's go back for a moment to uh, Mark Esper. He uh, defended that view of his, citing his vow to protect constitutional rights. Every member of this department has sworn an oath to uphold and defend the Constitution of the United States of America. I've taken this oath many times, beginning at the age of 18 when I entered West Point. The rights that are embedded in this great document begin with the First Amendment, which guarantees the five freedoms of speech, religion, press, assembly, and the right to petition the government. The United States military is sworn to defend these and all other rights. And we encourage Americans at all times to exercise them peacefully. It is these rights and freedoms that make our country so special. And it is these rights and freedoms that American service members are willing to fight and die for. Just for clarity, I want to make sure that it's crystal clear that there is a difference between, say, Governor Herbert 
mobilizing and activating the members of the Utah Army National Guard, which you saw on the streets of Utah over the past few days, specifically uh, taking up positions around City Creek, uh, the mall, on Monday evening. Now, there were very limited interactions between Utah Army National Guard troops and uh, protesters and such, but that is uh, one thing. The other would be the mobilization of active duty Army, Marine, Air Force, Navy, on American soil. That is what we're talking about here, or the federalization of National Guard troops. So there's a distinction. Don't think that it was the Insurrection Act uh, that was allowing National Guard troops here in the state of Utah to operate uh, on the streets. That's a call made by Governor Gary Herbert, well within his authorities. Last comment I'd like to share with you comes from Senator Mitt Romney. He defended Mark Esper. I think uh, Secretary Esper has the right to express his point of view, and the president does his. And I, I hope the president is willing to listen to the perspective of, of others and to take that into account as he makes his decisions. So, you know, he had that to say. Uh, there was also another comment made by Romney, and I'm late for a commercial break, but I think it's important you hear this. Uh, Senator Romney said <clears throat> this is more having to do with a letter we'll speak of later on coming from uh, General Mattis. He says General Mattis is a man of extraordinary sacrifice. He's an American patriot. He's an individual whose judgment I respect, and if I ever had to choose somebody to be in a foxhole with, it would be General Mattis. We're going to get into the comments made by Mattis uh, later on in the program, but we're going to take a break right now, and when we return, we'll be joined by Utah Congressman Chris Stewart to get his thoughts on both the utilization of the Insurrection Act, the protests going on around the country, and also, interestingly enough, a cemetery here in the state of Utah at Fort Douglas. We'll get his views next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Welcome back to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. Let me just tell you, we have been overwhelmed with voicemails left by individuals like you listening and responding to the question, are you comfortable going back to quote-unquote normal, specifically with regards to attending church, eating out in restaurants, going back to school in the fall, uh, or if you need a little extra help, maybe summer school, uh, public parks, the mall, sporting events, and even the movie theater. And I'll, I'll tell you what, I'd still love to hear from even more of you. The number again is 801-575-7668. I'm asking because there was a poll conducted by the Deseret News in conjunction with the Hinckley Institute, and they have found some fascinating results. I'm going to uh, leave it as a cliffhanger, and you and I will gather up together just uh, about 2.20, and I'll go through all of those results and share 
uh, with you some of the comments made by our friends and neighbors. Those dialing into again, 801-575-7668. In just a moment, we'll be joined by Utah Congressman Chris Stewart. We want to talk about the Insurrection Act. I want to talk about uh, Mark Esper, Defense Secretary. I want to talk about, uh, in general, these protests and his reaction to them around the country and here in Utah. Before we get to that, though, you heard in the newscast just a moment ago uh, an announcement that the Salt Lake City Police Department has screened charges of aggravated assault and possession of a weapon by a restricted person with the Salt Lake County District Attorney, specifically with regards to the gentleman who we have seen in so many news clips over the past few days, who on Saturday, uh, it is shown in video, emerged from his vehicle with a bow and arrow. KSL News Radio's Kelly Pierce was there on the air with me, the moment this gentleman stepped out of his vehicle, and if you go back and listen to the, the comments and the description of the situation by Kelly Pierce, there was a moment where that bow and arrow was pointed directly at her. I could hear the anxiety in her voice as she stood strong and continued to narrate what was happening. But this man, uh, it is understood now, uh, is facing... Uh, aggravated assault charges, and possession of a weapon by a restricted person. Now, I want to say one thing. This is not me casting judgment on anyone involved here, but I do hope that we learn that there is also further investigation done with regard to whoever is responsible for bloodying his face. I saw it with my own eyes as he was pulled from the crowd, uh, which descended upon him when he pulled out this bow and arrow. Uh, when he was pulled from that crowd by police and ultimately led away in some restraints, uh, his, his face w was bloodied. And now there may be a, a fine argument for uh, self-defense in that in that scenario. I mean, the man did, uh, at least it's shown in video, uh, emerge from his vehicle with a bow and arrow. Uh, but I would like to hear or I'd like to see a thorough investigation on that, just so that uh, justice is carried out and that all guilty parties uh, are brought to justice. But that is a story for another day. We've reached out to Sim Gill, Salt Lake County District Attorney, just to talk about these charges and some of the analysis that he has been making as the filing of these charges has come. But now let's turn back to uh, Congressman Chris Stewart. He joins us on the line now. Congressman, how are you, sir? Uh, it's good to be with you. And, you know, like everyone, I'm distressed. It's just heartbreaking to watch what is happening to our, to our nation right now. Talk to me about that distress. What, what is stressing you the most, sir? Well, I mean, just the divisiveness of it, the, the fact that uh, you, we watch this video of Mr. Floyd, and you can't watch that without being sickened by it. You just, you, it's, it's enraging to watch. But uh, we don't make it better by, by harming communities that many of them are very vulnerable anyway. We don't make that better by stealing and looting. And it's too bad, too, because the protesters who have... You know, those who want to speak and, and talk in a calm voice and actually try to make things better, they've been completely overshadowed in many places by, by some of the violence and the other stories that we're talking about instead. We here in Utah have been relatively lucky when it comes to uh, the community's interaction with these protesters, certainly with the exception of Saturday night, Saturday night. But if you look at, say, Monday, Tuesday, and last night, uh, it's been relatively peaceful. There's been some marching, uh, and there have been some chanting and some signs. But since Saturday, uh, we have been relatively free of graffiti and vandalism and violence. There have been a few arrests, 
but uh, but here in in Utah, specifically in Utah's capital city of Salt Lake, I think we've been relatively lucky. In stark comparison, though, to other cities throughout the country, specifically uh, New York City, uh, Minneapolis, of course, uh, Chicago and Washington, D.C., where we now know that the president is taking some action to uh, maybe mobilize some uh, federal forces invoking the Insurrection Act. I don't know that he is quite yet to that point, but let me just ask you, sir, what are your thoughts on the invocation of powers afforded the president by the Insurrection Act? Are we to a point where that's appropriate? No, I, I hope not, and I don't think so. And again, as a former member of the military, we we drew a very, very bright, wide line between our role in defending our national security and the and the things we did overseas, and any role that we would play in domestic security or in law enforcement. Now, the Insurrection Act is, was an appropriate response to needs at the time, and it is obviously legislation. It's, it's, a, it's a law that is still applicable. It's on the books. And I, I think a lot of people are surprised to know that it's, it hasn't been 100 years since it was either either called upon or contemplated. I mean, some people may recall that uh, President Bush mm-hmm. uh, considered it during Hurricane Katrina. So, you know, it is a tool that's available to the president and the administration for very, very severe cases of, of law enforcement and keeping the peace. But the primary responsibility always lies with the local community. It lies with local law enforcement, with the mayors and those who uh, have direct, uh, direct responsibility over law enforcement and, and to the governors. And I think we're way, way better off the, if, we, if we defer to those and, and those authorities rather than to bring in a military presence right now. Now, you know, if things got completely sideways and there was so much violence and so many lives were endangered, the U.S. military recognizes that they need to be called upon in that case. But I don't think that we're there yet. In fact, I think we've moved back from that line in, in most places. There's still a lot of, a lot of hot spots with violence and, and you know, threats to life. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think generally the, the country has stepped back from over the, since the weekend, and I hope we continue to step back from that. Is there a role for Congress in all of this? Well, I mean, yes, there is, because, you know, so much of what we do now in our society is driven by Washington, D.C., because of the great power that resides in Washington, D.C. That's why many of us who really are Federalists, many of us who think that the power should reside in the communities and the states, we get frustrated because so much of that power has migrated to Washington, D.C. and the federal government. So that being the case, we have to accept that there's a role for us there. I mean, one of them is is the... is the conversation we've had already here, and that is working with the president to uh, advise him of, you know, what's the appropriate role for the for the federal executive or for federal law enforcement. But I, once again, when it comes to police policies, when it comes to funding for police and how police are managed, that's that's done locally as it should be, and, and hopefully you know, Congress doesn't try to intervene in that way. It's far better for local communities and, and local sheriffs who are elected officials to take that responsibility than it is for someone in Washington, D.C. to come swooping in and say, we're going to handle this now. I think people would resent that, and they should. Congressman Chris Stewart, we have to leave it at that. I wish we had more time to speak, but our time has expired. Thank you for joining me here on today's episode of Live Mike. Thank you so much. All righty. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to get some news. And when we come back, I'm going to give you what may be the final chapter in a story revolving a headstone in Utah 
in a cemetery at Fort Douglas. That's coming up next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio.